Well, hello, travellers. Welcome to another very special initiative. This is the Phil Hoffman Travel Podcast. Phil Hoffman, you've had many innovations in the world of travel. Did you ever expect one day you'd be sitting in a room, just you and I, talking about travel? <laughs> uh, no, Leith, not like this. We've done a lot of radio programs together, which uh, I've always enjoyed. But uh, to do a podcast, uh, no, I'm quite excited about it. And having done one with Gornsey, yeah, no, it's uh, it's uh, it's interesting. It's exciting. Now, tell us, this is a little bit your brainchild, the podcast, because you think this is an avenue where certainly travel can go. Absolutely, because, you know, everyone's coming time poor and, you know, they're sitting in cars and driving home from you know work and all that it's a lovely way to listen to a podcast to relax and hear something different take your mind off your job and everything else and the same when people are traveling uh, or home on the weekend and and I think for us in travel because we cover so many parts of the world so many ways of traveling so many ways of putting your itineraries together and what we do. So this is a way people could listen to it and get a lot of ideas from us, especially when people are coming back from new destinations yep. and they want to talk about it, you know, and people get ideas and go, I had never thought of going to Iran. And after hearing, you know, one of our travellers talk about it, wow, I want to go. And uh, and I think that happens a lot on TV when we see shows. Well, I think this is another way of us getting out there and talking about the world of travel and uh, how easy it is to do because a lot of people get sort of uh, tied up with thinking it's it's hard to put together. It's not when you're talking with experts mm. that do it every day. It's like building a house. Before you build the house, you talk to the architect or the draftsperson and you plan it and you talk about it. It's the same with a holiday. To get the maximum out of a holiday, we love the planning stage and we love being involved. It's your holiday, but we love planning it for you to give you the maximum benefit of the holiday, seamless, not for you to worry and then the backup we give them as well. Do you know what I was thinking could be great about a podcast? It's like having your own little Phil Hoffman travel uh, person in your pocket. Absolutely. So if it's a long flight or a short flight, if you're going to a new destination, it's almost, and we see it on the internet now, there are different websites where you can say, what are the things I need to do? Where do I need to eat? What do I need to know? This just gives people, and particularly with a Phil Hoffman flavor to it, it gives people the chance to hear about travel and destinations. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Leith, we, you know, get sometimes we're talking to a person about traveling with, say, Emirates or Qatar, and they'll say they're frightened of going through. Dubai or Doha and I say why and then they'll give you some silly reasons they've they've read something you know that's not even factual uh, as far as the destination is concerned so, and that's what I think what we can do when we're talking about the alternate routes of getting to Europe or to America or South America talking about that and like you say when you arrive how easy it is to go through airports and and uh, you know either transiting through or stopping over and staying and all the other things that uh, you do so yeah I think we can bring a lot of of information and um, and really give someone maybe their first consultation without ever coming yeah. into the office that they can and this is what we do uh, at a lot of our seminars but at least a lot of people can't get to them because of the timings and, and when they're on and all that and so this is a way that they can you know get all that information without having to walk into the office initially and then come in and say right I'm really excited about doing this and doing that uh, who do I talk to? How many times do you hear it from someone who travels overseas and they say if only I'd known about, I would have attended, I would have gone, I would have put it into my itinerary. And those things that you miss out, you may never get back to that destination exactly. again. Exactly. And Leith, even I do that sometimes, make the mistake of, you know, not doing enough homework on the on some of the places and think, oh, won't worry about that. And then after you've read it when you got home, you go, 
I was there. I could have seen that. Yep. Why didn't I walk around that extra street, <laughs> you know? So this is, I hope, a way we can communicate a lot of that information to clients. So we have a brand new Phil Hoffman Travel podcast, which we will update, and we'll speak to all of your great staff. We'll talk about all the destinations. Can you believe... How long have you been in the industry now? About nearly 40 years that I've been in the industry and 28 years as Phil Hoffman Travel. What was it like when you started? Now you're sitting in a room, it's two men talking to each other that could be listened all around the world. Well, uh, when I started uh, in uh, 1990 down there at Glenelg, there was uh, three staff or two staff and myself. Yep. And we were in a massive office down at Glenelg that probably finished up, you know, housing about 20 people in the one office there. And my, my two staff said, Phil, what are we going to do to occupy this place? <laughs> and I said, well, you never know. It may it may grow. Well, we now employ Leith, uh, something like 230 staff, um, including our part-timers and that. So, yeah, it was, look, it was never a, it was never a master plan that we were going to grow to this size. If I tell you the truth, uh, and this is the truth, I was going to have a five-person operation. I was going to be able to play golf on Wednesday afternoon. And even though I'm not a great golfer or, or a great ambitious person to be a great golfer, uh, I was going to play golf with my mates and uh, five-person and operation, and that was going to be it. And then it just kept growing. And uh, so it's it's a success story in a way. Uh, and I often say it's not the success story because – I got away from the plan. The plan was five five star, um, but look, it's been exciting, and there's not a year that I haven't enjoyed being part of the growth and, and with the staff uh, and what we've done. Uh, you know, look, we've had some hiccups. Uh, we had you know September 11, 2001. We had um, GFC, uh, two Bali bombings, uh, SARS. All things that actually tested, I think, the organisation. But like the first Gulf War, which happened uh, in 91, in January 16th, um, we'd only been three months going, mm. Leith. And I thought, hang on, what have I done? You know, because the the, the phone stopped. Uh, people didn't want to travel. They were all scared. But it was all over in about eight weeks. And after about May, we were back again, you know, going full belt again. But every one of these times these things happen, I think they just strengthen the organisation of how you overcome adversity. Mm -hmm. um, but you learn something about your organisation. You learn something about the resistance of your staff uh, and the ability to go through those sort of uh, situations. But I can remember uh, September uh, 11, 2001, I thought I could lose the business the way it all happened so quickly. Um, but we recovered very quickly. And the one thing that I've always done when these things have happened is make sure I've protected the staff that they, they never lost their jobs. We often went to a four-day, or twice in, in our time, went to a four-day week so that we could reduce the expenses, but no one actually lost their job because your staff are the biggest asset of your business. And to be able to grow, uh, to continue straight after when you recover, you've got to have staff. Yep. And you don't want to have the reputation of putting on staff and sacking staff when things go quiet. And so even with the GFC, you know, it got uh, hairy at one stage there. But, uh, you know, we kept going. And we actually grew over that period. Um, I think we went from three offices to, to seven. And I thought, I'm insane, you know, growing <laughs> the business in the GFC period. But again, you know, you just had opportunities came came to us. We took them. Uh, and, and, you know, as I said, it's been organic growth in all those years. Can we do this first podcast, this first episode, series one, episode one of the Phil Hoffman <laughs> Travel Podcast? 
Your love of travel, was it your parents that got you into it? Did it start later in life? No, it started when I was at university. I had an auntie that uh, was uh, fairly well off and very well educated. And she said, I want a Hoffman to travel, uh, one of the family to get up and travel overseas. And she said, and I'll help you with your first overseas uh, ticket. Because she said, once I get someone away, she said, then I think it'll go viral with the rest of the families and all of them will start traveling. And I think it's been true. You know, I was one of the first to get up and, and travel. And you, you suddenly then for the very first time in your life realize it's a big world out mm. there. But you grow, you learn, you become a global citizen. And and I've tried to do that with, you know, my family now with the kids. And hopefully I'll do it with the grandchildren as well. Um, because it is a great world out there. We still live in the, I still come back and say we still live in the best place in the world to live. But to go out and travel, I think it just expands your horizon and makes you a better person. Your first trip was where? My first trip was uh, seven weeks on a cruise ship out of uh, Melbourne. I went Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane to Japan. 14 days through Japan, which we did a lot of it overland. Then we went to Taiwan, Hong Kong, changed ships, and then came back to uh, to uh, Australia. Leith, I put on 18 pounds in eight weeks or seven and a half weeks. But I was going to go around the world. Initially, I was going to fly around the world on my own and just stop off for the major cities. And my cousin, who was the son of this lady that helped me with the first, one of the first trips to go away, um, he said, as a commercial traveller, he said, that'll be boring, travelling on your own, uh, just just calling into cities on your own. He said, get on a cruise ship. Now, so people often wonder where I got the passion for cruising. I think it was right back for the very first one. Seven and a half weeks went away over the Christmas New Year period because I was a teacher at that stage, Leith, yep. and God, it was a great trip. And, and uh, you know, I learned so much about travelling, so much about people and everything else, made so many friends because, you know, I was a... a you know, bachelor on my own, a lot of families on board from uh, from the eastern states. So great contacts and great experience to travel at the age of I think it was twenty two I was, and uh, first year in the first year of teaching. But it was it just lit my fire about having a passion for travel. You've got great people skills. That's one of the things that people when they meet you and they see you at travel expos, etc. They you're very approachable. I can imagine that first trip, it wouldn't have been a cruise ship that has skydiving like it does now <laughs> no, and water slides. No. You would have literally had eating, sleeping conversation. Yeah, I guess. and that's that's yeah, it was. It was very basic cruising, but uh, it it was uh, you know it. But it was it was going to these places like Japan and Taiwan and Hong Kong, etc. That you know, just made you sort of see other countries, and so you start getting excited about destinations. But certainly because of cruising, what it contained, as you said, you know, sitting down at the table, meeting other people from other other places, uh, it just made you grow as an individual. And people said that when I came back that it, you know that they could notice the difference already, and I think that started the, the sort of the whole passion. I came from a family of hairdressers that had businesses, so I grew up in a, in a, a business environment. So I, I wanted to be uh, in business, but I wasn't sure what business it was because I was a teacher. And I love teaching, you know, so it wasn't I was getting out of something I didn't love. But when the opportunity to come and put travel and and business together in the one one, you know, uh, formula. Um, yeah, I got excited. So when you come back from the trip, do you automatically say, right, I'm going to learn about travel to go into the industry? 
Uh, I did. I, I started. I started doing a lot of correspondence because there wasn't courses in in TAFE and yeah. other areas to do it. So I did a lot of my initial learning of of formula. You know, learning so much about the formalities of travel through correspondence. And I did. You know, the Ada Ufta course through through Geneva in Switzerland. You know, by correspondence and the t- fares and ticketing and everything else. So when I actually got into uh, to the the travel in a full-time capacity, Leith, uh, because of my TAFE experience, I went back to TAFE to talk about, you know, putting courses together uh, and how we would do it and uh, et cetera. So uh, and then I became president of the Australian Federation of Travel Agents. So I had a chance to sort of put my educational hat on as well as the travel hat on and say, if we're really going to have a professional industry, we've got to have formal courses. And so that's how we started and, and developed the, the formal courses in Adelaide and elsewhere. Was there many travel agents at that time when you oh, started? Yeah, no, a lot of travel agents, but, you know, it's just self-taught. A lot of us sure. were self-taught. So the ability to be able to, uh, you know, and have formal courses and, and, and be recognised and that. And also I just said that, you know, for your own development to, in an industry, you've got to have that professional development and, you know, the TAFEs and all the others got to be able to provide that. And then we also went and had our own industry courses out because what was happening was people were having to do three or four years part-time. And they're already in the industry, Leith. So, you know, it was hard work, working all day and then doing, say, three nights a week. Yep. So we came up with the concept of a six-month full-time course where people could come off the street or come from another background and get in and learn the industry. Now, you know, they wouldn't learn the whole industry. They'd learn how to be as a consultant at the front desk and then the experience comes from that afterwards but but a lot of and a lot of my staff came up through those colleges where they did the six months course Peter Williams CEO director of Phil Hoffman travel came through you know the the uh, after uh, courses that way six months uh, and so a lot of my staff came that way because you know they made the the, the stance they wanted to uh, be in travel we wanted them to be trained, and this is the way they did it, and they paid money to do the courses. So there was a commitment by them to want to get qualified to come into the industry, and I think it lifted the professionalism of the industry completely. So your first Phil Hoffman travel is Glenelg. Glenelg was 1990, September the 23rd. I'll never forget it. And, uh, and uh, in one week after that, the domestic airlines deregulated airfares. So we went from having only three airfares, which was first class, business class and economy, to a multitude of uh, fares domestically. So yep. and in that in that first instance there was only two airlines. You know, it was Qantas and Ansett, you know, so that's how we started and, and uh, when you look back and you go now with all the other airlines playing the part. And then there was only uh, British Airways coming into Adelaide as the first uh, airline in, and, and, and then Singapore Airlines. Um or vice versa. I'm not quite sure I can remember that that far back now. But uh, now we see the plethora of, of airlines that we have coming into Adelaide. We are served so well. So, yeah, so the start was three star, two staff and myself. I think I was the highest paid delivery. No, I wasn't paid that first year. I was delivering tickets to the airport at night, you know, because that's how you sent the tickets down. They were paper tickets, you know. Now it's all electronic, yep. so it's a different world. So that was the first start, Glenelg. What was travel like i mean this is pre-internet days you would have had i assume brochures well Letha, I, it. I always tell the the new inductees now when they join the company how we own the information in those early days we own the brochure we own the fares we owned everything because it wasn't public it wasn't out there on the internet or or you know all the information about destinations so we were the really the controller of everything so when the client come in you know uh, 
it wasn't until a certain stage you'd give them the brochure or then you took airfares and et cetera, et cetera. So we control that. Now, you know, a, a client does something like, you know, sometimes 47 days of, of looking up, you know, all the information about destinations before they actually walk in. Or, and I forget how many hours that adds up to. But, you know, in time over a period of time, yep. doing their own work and homework, then they come in. So they're, they're much more sort of knowledgeable now than they ever were in the past. So it makes it even harder for the consultants in some cases now because you know you're talking to someone one has got a lot more information but sometimes the wrong information they've got too much information so it makes it harder for our consultants in one way but the good consultants they cut through that and and uh, you know, make it easy you had Qantas you had Ansett in terms of cruising P&O were there many cruise lines only one cruise it? ship uh, going out of uh, going out of Australia and nothing coming to Adelaide and uh, etc. But I always had a feeling about cruising because I cleaned an office up in my earlier life uh, at to the TNG building that was a Stuart Moffat office and it had forty seven consultant desks down in a basement stored there and we were having to clean up because we were merging two companies together in my earlier life and uh, and I saw all these desks and I thought and I said to them I said. How, we're all, how did, who, who owned all these desks? They said, oh, we were big in shipping then. We had you know, ship jet, we had shipping, cruising coming. And then the oil, the price of oil went so high, Leith, that cruising stopped uh, coming to Australia. Yep. Uh, we only have a few visits a year from any cruise ship. Now, you know, we're seeing you know, enormous growth in the industry. Was coach travel the big tourist attraction at that stage? was starting to really develop in those days and when I started it was mainly mainly coach touring yep. wasn't a lot of people driving around in place you know rental cars and that and then that's grown as well but now you know there's so many ways that people are traveling etc and it's the combination of all that makes it exciting but so in those days yeah you know you, you, it was mainly my coach touring and it was a lot of you know today is Tuesday must be Belgium uh, tomorrow's Wednesday must be Paris and Thursday must be Rome that's how it was in those days yep. and then now you know it's all so different and uh, you know longer stopovers and uh, or, yeah a lot more sort of getting into the local culture dining out in different restaurants or even dining out in private homes so it's changed a lot Leith. How does one Phil Hoffman travel in Glenelg become 10? When's the explosion? <laughs> is it just is it a gradual build? Yeah Did you just see- no, no Leith it was a gradual because my whole thing was I was going to build Glenelg to what I call the typical Italian restaurant that you know you go back to your old favorite restaurant whether it's Italian but my thought was an Italian restaurant where yep. you know you walk in there and they know the family they know you um, and uh, you know you go there because it just gives you a comfortable feeling thing that's what I was my plan was for Glenelg so it's going to only be Glenelg four years later into the into the to the stage uh, an opportunity came up to open Norwood office and that's when I said to Peter Williams who had been with me over that period of time and four years uh, I said, Peter, uh, would you like to open the office at Nord? You can have one staff member from um, Glenelg and then the rest you've got to get yourself, you know. And that was the start of uh, of Nord. And, and then he rang me up about six weeks in. He said, I think Nord will beat Glenelg, you know, on retail to retail. And I went, no, that's a big comment to make, you know. But uh, four or five years later, they did. And that was the start of Glenelg, uh, sorry, of, of Nord. And then uh, we bought an office in Stirling when an opportunity came up. And so that was three offices. And, and then, as I said, GFC comes up and we went from three to seven over a period of nearly a year. Uh, opportunity to, to open at Victor Harbour. And my sister who lives at Port Elliot just said, 
hey, come down and I'll show you what's happening down on that Florio Peninsula and the developments in these areas and that. And so we've opened a very successful office in, in uh, Victor uh, and then we had a chance at uh, Unley, which is now Hyde Park, Semaphore, uh, Perry Street, and then the latest, or then St- or we had Sterling, and then we bought into uh, two offices in um, in the Barossa and Gawler. So, yeah, from uh, what was one office to ten. And... Um, and people keep asking me, Leith, uh, all the time, are we going to operate in in, in interstate? Uh, for me, the answer is no. I think the younger ones may look at it, you know, the management may look at the opportunities. But we'll certainly look at maybe mobile travel consultants in those other states. And we've started that process already as well. And now with, you know, online stuff, you can do a lot of that now for interstate. We do get a lot of interstate clients that see our tours, our hosted stuff when they see on the cruise ships. And they see our people badged with, you know, little their name tags and everything else. And they get excited about it and say, well, how come you get looked after this way? And, who, you know, I see you have a... A tour director or a cruise director on with you and all that, and it's something we just build up, uh, Leith, over the many years of trying to look after our clients and give them something special when they go away with us. In amongst all this growth from one store to ten, you travel the world for work. People don't realise, and people think of your job and they think, "Man, I'd love to have Phil Hoffman's job <laughs> because he gets to see the world." I don't think they realise quite how hard you work and everything that you do. Give us a rough idea of those early years and as you're building, you would have gone to every continent. You would have tried every product, I guess, when yeah, a new airline and, yeah, comes and, in. Yeah, and, and we've always, because I came out of an education training background, I've always believed in training and staff development, but also believe that if you're in the business of travel, you've got to be passionate about it, you've got to love it, and you've got to want to do it, and you've got to go. You've got to go and travel, and you've got to know destinations. You've got to be able to sell the destination from the heart, from from you know, not from a brochure. Brochure, yes, that's there for reference for certain things, but you also, if you're exciting people and when you see some of our people present, you know, you, they just tell you when the clients tell you that they've been and heard Krista Kinnear talk on Antarctica or, or Arctic Circle or cruising, you know, Mike Clark talking on this and that. You know, names, Peter Williams was always a great a consultant, but also a great presenter uh, of information because he was passionate. He spent, he when he changed his direction of life uh, from being in property management to coming into travel, he did eight and a half months traveling around the world with a mate before he, and then he came back and said, I want to be in travel. And then we made him do the course. And so, you know, he's a natural. And, and we've got a lot of those people. And you can tell it, Leith, very quickly when you interview people, whether they have that magical passion for the industry, travel, and want to do it. Um, and you can see when people, you know, lose that magic. But I'm one of those lucky people that I, I, I think, you know, I enjoy it. I love going to new destinations. And I love coming back. And that's why I love the podcasting or the or the radio and all this sort of thing because you can get the noise out about that destination and excite people and and you know but it's got to be it's got to be honest it's got to be true it's got to be times when you say you know look it's not my favorite destination but I have people who love that destination but I love this place or that place and you know there's not many places I don't enjoy um but you know you've got to say it as it is do people love the destination or do they love the experience I think it's the experience that that yep. comes out of out of the destination, how much they get the chance to experience, and and the reason they why. Um, you know, I've been watching uh, Joanne Lumley on SBS talking about Iran. Now it's never been on high on my list, and you know, two segments of her talking about Iran, and suddenly you go, 
Hmm. I think it's better to go back on my radar, <laughs> you know. And look, I had that with, I went to Egypt. One of my first big overseas trips to a very new, unique destination was uh, was uh, Egypt. And I fell in love with Egypt. And then that led to Jordan and Israel. And then it led to Turkey and then Syria and, and all those destinations in that Middle East area. Um, and so I feel very comfortable when I go back to those destinations because, you know, it was early days for me, but a great learning curve with operators and suppliers. And, and, and again, that's part of the exercise when you go overseas. You, you, you want to meet the right operators so that you get a feel that they're going to look after my clients. When I'm not here, I know that that's the extension of my brand out there with these you know, people they're going to look after and sort out. And often, you know, your staff will come back and they'll say, oh, I met so-and-so and they could do it, you know, $2 cheaper than we're doing it, you know, that we're charging at the moment. I said, but you know what I want? I said, I want peace of mind for my clients. I want them to know that if anything did go wrong, my supplier, my personal destination operator over there would look after my clients and then we'd sort out what happened and how it happened, but the client would never know, you know, that there was a problem. Uh, because and, and you build that over years, Leith, and I think over my 40 years of being, I mean, one of my operators in Kenya, you know, we've been working together for 38 years, I think it's 38 years, you know, and it's it's not business, it's a family mm. bonding, you know, relationship that we've had for with each other for so many years, and we, it's the trust that goes on there, and that's, that's when you feel comfortable about people going to Kenya and if anything would happen, you know they'd be looked after. Our operator in Kenya drives 150 kilometres to deliver a birthday cake to one of our clients at night, you know, to be there when, when we're out in, in the safari or whatever. He runs a, a, a big barbecue for our clients on the last night of the, of the tour to say farewell to them and all that at his house. You know, now that's special, you know, and I think that's what you know, like you talked about, is the destinations, the experiences you have that you talk about, that you come back, having just done, um, you know, Croatia and, and Slovenia and that. You know, it's the experiences that you had there while you were there that makes it special. Have you ever sat down on a quiet night with Ali? You've got nothing to do at home. You get out a map or a globe and looked and gone, there's a place I haven't been to yet. Because every time we have this conversation, it used to be Ireland, but you've since visited Ireland since we had that conversation. Is there a place you haven't been that still is on your list to say, I must do this, but for whatever reason, it's never occurred? Cuba's on my list. Uh, and I'm actually leaving tomorrow as a, we do this broadcast, which is a Tuesday. But on Wednesday, tomorrow, I leave with uh, Cathay to go to um to Cuba and I will visit for about three or four days and that's a new destination for me so tick yep. and then on to the Bahamas for a conference so another tick uh, and then you look around some of the other places and as I said Iran is now certainly back on the on the radar and uh, so and often you know when staff come back and have been to a new destination they go Phil I've got one up on you I've just been to so and so and I go okay <laughs> all right tell me about it you know so yeah uh, I, I, I probably don't sit down with a map but I as I look at brochures and destinations and hear people comment, I yeah, I keep thinking, yes, there's still more time to do, you know, new things and new destinations and and bring it back to the public and talk about it and get people excited and, and certainly, you know, I know that in nineteen ninety six when I started cruising at Phil Hoffman Travel at Glenelg, the staff looked at me as if I was on, you know, pills or whatever, drugs, you know. And I said, no, no, I can smell it. I can feel that it, this cruising is on the turn. It's going to be big. We have to prepare for it. We have to make sure that we are, you know, learned on it, you know, that we know the products well. We know the destinations well with cruising and what's happening. 
and that was the start of 96. Now, you know, it's now 2018. So it's not just something that happened overnight for us. It's it's pick. And the other thing is, Leith, I love picking, trying to pick the market, you know, picking trends that I think are going to take off. You know, Croatia now, huge publicity about Croatia now everywhere in, in magazines and, you know, papers and all that. I can remember going you know, years ago to Croatia and going, this is going to be hot. Yep. Vietnam, I went the first time in Vietnam in 96 and I came back and I said to the staff uh, that I had then at uh, PhD at Glenelg and I said, Vietnam's going to be hot. And they go, why? And I go, I said, I just can, I can sense or feel it about a destination. And at one stage uh, in those early years after 96, we were doing 10, 12 cruises, uh, 12 group tours, escorted group tours to Vietnam a year, you know, and then a lot of individuals. So you bring on destinations, you know. So it's, um, you know, it's exciting seeing that. It's, it's uh, because, you know, it's, it's growing that destination and growing your expertise and growing the type of itineraries that you know people will love when they go. Because, you know, from the first time I did it to now, you know, it's come a long way with the itineraries, more nights in different places because we thought that's not really giving people a chance to see and, and, and experience a destination. So so we keep trying to get the, the formula even better every year, uh, and that keeps you on your toes as well, trying to get that maximum for the for the for your clients two questions before we wrap up the first of these phil hoffman travel podcasts do people leave traveling too late do they think you know what i'm going to work hard and then when yeah. i finish working i'll reward myself and i'll go and travel are they leaving it too late yeah uh, be, and 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 i say that in a couple of ways because um we see people that that uh, struggle with their fitness you know they've suddenly got you know crook hips or they've had a knee operation or they need to have a knee operation and that and they say to you phil i think i've left it too late you know to do it i met a gentleman earlier in my travels that had made a lot of money in building and that he was american and he said now he said i'm traveling for the next couple of years full time and i said wow he said, well, he said, I can always go back to work later on and do something again, do another project and, you know, make money or whatever. He said, but I'm going to do this while I'm, you know, physically fit to do it and enjoy it and, and you know, see the world. And I think, you know, that is it. But the, on the other side of it, though, Leith, we're seeing a lot of baby boomers who are living longer, they're healthier, they're fitter. And they're coming out with, you know, big super payouts or superannuation funds uh, or bigger than, you know, what our, fa- our parents had. Uh, and they're traveling and doing a lot of traveling and, and experiencing, you know, the travel. And But again, I come back to the health thing or the fitness thing. Uh, and they're taking their kids and they're taking the grandchildren. So, you know, you get this multi-generational stuff. But it's the, uh, yeah, it's a good question because I, I think, you know, if you're not fit enough, you don't enjoy it or you don't want to do certain things that you need to do and uh, you've got to have your fitness. And a lot of people don't do a lot of preparation before they go away to Europe and what, and then they say, Phil, I didn't know there'd be so many steps. And I said, well, <laughs> this place was built 2,000 and a half years ago. Yep. They didn't have escalators and lifts uh, uh, that way, you know. And even myself, you know, I had a crook knee for a period of time and I started not enjoying doing some of the things you had to do in destinations, like in Alaska and that. And I struggled and I came back and I said to the doc, and my wife, her comment was, oh, you finally pulled your head out of the sand, you know, to look at it and do something about it, you know, because it, it was, I had a torn meniscus, it was hurting. But so, yeah, it's a good question. You've got to do it and you've got to be fit to do it and enjoy it. And, uh, and I, but I think that's part of the uh, itinerary planning and everything else because sometimes people try to do too much, Leith, in a short time. The last question, you started with one office, a couple of staff, you had two airlines. We're now looking at hundreds of airlines. We're looking at hundreds of 
cruising ships we're looking at ocean cruising river cruising where does travel go from here where do you think when you finally retire which i don't see in any foreseeable future where do you think the travel industry will go going forward no i no i think it'll continue to grow i think we're going to see look the biggest problem with the growth uh, because you know more and more people are coming affluent to travel you know you've got the china market growing at an enormous rate i can remember years ago when they told us that the china market will be a hundred million plus you know, out of out of coming out of China for overseas travel, that will continue to grow. They got 1.3 billion. You got the Indian population that's only just travelling at a certain level, um, and you got you know the Western society travelling uh, you know all over the world. So the hardest thing is how we control that growth in the industry that we don't spoil places. You know, because already we're seeing Venice and Barcelona and other places saying, you know, we're getting overcrowded with tourism. Um, you know, whereas Australia, you know, and there's a lot of places in South Australia, we'd love to see more. Yeah, you, know, you go to Kangaroo Island, we'd love to see more tourism there. But we don't want to spill the destination. But a lot of countries do it well. Canada does it well. Other places do it well where they, they control the numbers. Antarctica controlling the numbers, etc. So it's just that that's the big balance. But we'll see... We'll see so many different ways of flying, you know, in terms of what they'll do with, with uh, you know, longer flights, um, you know, but more comfortable. Uh, and so no stopovers in some places, you know, you might fly uh, Sydney to New York nonstop. Uh, you can fly Singapore, New York now nonstop. Um, they don't do Dubai to Auckland nonstop. So, you know, uh, Perth to uh, London nonstop. Um, I actually enjoy stopping. You know, I like that break. I like, uh, you know, and, and stopping over in places. I think, you know, yes, yeah, great if you're in a hurry, but if you've got time up your sleeve, enjoy it. So I think there's some terrific things going on in uh, all areas of travel and tourism that it's going to be exciting for the future. And if I was talking to kids now about getting into an industry that's going to see huge growth, it's going to be in tourism and travel. Uh, very exciting times with what, and you, when you hear, you know, Sir Tim Clark uh, from Emirates talk about the future of Emirates and what they're doing with, you know, aircraft and what may change and etc. Uh, you hear uh, the future of cruising and the new design of cruise ships. You know, I get very excited. I, I, you know, when people say to me about retiring or thinking about that, I go, I only wish I had 20 more years of you know being in the industry with the changes that are happening that I think are are exciting compared to you know 20 years ago. And it's like talking to your parents and your grandparents and that of what you know radio came on, the TV, the internet, you know Netflix and all the other things that happened now. How much is it all mm. changing? I mean, you know, our kids won't even know anything about. We'll laugh about radio, but it's, here it is, and we've been using it now with Double A for you know twenty eight years now, and uh, but it's still the greatest way of communicating. And that will be the thing that we need to talk about is you know down the line, uh, Leith, is the fact that um, the great thing about travel is you know you're getting out and you're communicating with other people in the world and you become a global citizen. I think that's exciting, and I think the future is exciting. Well, you've been breaking ground your whole career. You've done it again today. The very first <laughs> Phil Hoffman Travel Podcast. Thank you so much, Phil. It's a pleasure, Leith.